Welcome to SNC's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. Today, Frank Aquila, Global Head of MA, and Matt Hurd, co head of our Healthcare and Life Sciences Group, discuss industry and regulatory trends that will shape pharmaceutical MA in the coming years. Clearly, one of the most discussed topics during the election in 2020 was healthcare and the various candidates, first in the Democratic primary and then in the general election, approached healthcare. Clearly, we're seeing that with the pandemic, healthcare is one of the most important topics to Americans and American business. In addition to all the other political, social, and economic developments this past year, it has also been one of the most active years in terms of pharmaceutical innovation. Certainly, the rapid pace at which treatments for COVID and developments of the various vaccines, two of which, as we know, have new technologies, really, not traditional vaccine technologies, have been uh, highlighted. But there have been innovations, really, in so many different areas in pharmaceuticals. Matt, what has that meant for pharma M&A? Your question really points to the engine that powers the global biopharmaceutical industry, and that is innovation. The rapid development of COVID vaccines, we now have three in the United States, was just a triumph of infectious disease research. But it's just the tip of the iceberg for an industry whose global drug discovery platform or engine is really firing on all cylinders. It points up another truth, and that is that, at least in the post-war period, at least in the United States, we've never really regulated our way out of healthcare challenges. We've always innovated our way out of healthcare challenges. I think you can't think of a year that demonstrates that in a greater way than 2020. It's innovation that drives the industry. It's innovation that drives biopharmaceutical M&A. Earnings growth in the pharma industry comes from two places. One place, and it's a political football, is price increases. And it's been a political football for decades. It continues to be such. It's the object of very diligent regulatory scrutiny and political scrutiny, as we know. The second place growth comes from is volume growth from innovative therapies. And if you go back, say, 20 years, Earnings growth in the industry came from an equal mix of those two factors, about 50% price increases, 50% volume increases. In the more recent past, almost all the growth, at least in big pharma, came from pricing. And of course, that triggered the scrutiny, the concerns, the political discussions, and which even attracted the attention of the Trump administration in 2018. In the past couple of years, prices in pharma have more or less stabilized, maybe less than more, but it's really been innovation that's driven industrial growth. That's a more sustainable model, and it's obviously very stimulating for M&A people in an industry where much of the innovation comes from the smaller companies, and much of the transaction activity comes from the larger companies acquiring the smaller ones. So innovation is not just inherent in the biopharmaceutical industry. Innovation is actually accelerating. Say maybe 10 years ago, there was a period of eight to 10 years where FDA approvals of new drugs were running 20 to 25 new approvals for new drugs every year. Prior to the pandemic, 
there was a dramatic acceleration and they were running at 40 to 45 new products uh, per year across the industry. So innovation was accelerating. There are FDA problems and the FDA recently because of COVID out of a desire to protect the inspectors has done radically fewer plant inspections than it uh, formerly was able to do. And that has slowed the pace of new drug approvals, but the innovation behind the applications that's actually accelerating, and that's powerful news for pharma M&A. One driver of the innovation is gene editing technology. This is the so-called CRISPR technology for which Dr. Doudna and Dr. Charpentier won the 2020 Nobel Prize in Chemistry. There's a new book out by Walter Isaacson describing Dr. Doudna, influencing specific traits that are inherited by new cells opens the door to precision medicine, which is a sort of holy grail in the industry and in society, but it dramatically accelerates drug development. Another factor speeding things up is increased efficiencies in clinical trials, where companies are using more decentralized models. They're taking advantage of distributed ledger technology, so-called Bitcoin technology, which has become very important, and using a lot of artificial intelligence to optimize trials. It's not a complete renovation in the way clinical trials are done. This is obviously given shape and motivation by the entire regulatory process, but Little improvements around the edges make a big difference to speed and efficiency. And this is just the beginning in terms of optimizing clinical trials. So faster, better drug development, more innovation, better conditions for biopharma M&A. That's the virtuous cycle. And so what are we seeing in the deal space? The answer is almost everything all at once. Big pharma acquiring small biotechs. That has been the engine of industrial growth for 30 years, 35, 40 years. This is the time of year when the big companies make their lists, make their outreach to the smaller companies, and that is definitely happening. It's a very active market. Specialty pharma companies are taking advantage of their focused R&D platforms, their special expertise to do more deals, maybe smaller deals, maybe larger deals, but the specialty pharma companies, they're very active. There were a huge number of life science IPOs in the last couple of years, and those new public companies, some of which are quite sizable, are now being sold to big pharma at high premia. And one example being the recent acquisition of Five Prime, where you acted for Amgen, Frank. That's a, a classic example of a new public company being evaluating strategic alternatives in a competitive way and selling for a price that reflects the substantial commitment that it's made over the time of its corporate life to innovation. So in addition to companies purchasing innovation, you'll continue to see companies investing assets in order to better focus themselves on the key platforms that are going to drive innovative growth. Some of these businesses, some of these assets are, are really pristine, really perfect, but companies are volitionally focusing themselves on what really is going to drive innovative growth because they're in it for the long term. So what are we not seeing? We haven't yet seen combinations among the big pharma companies themselves. Although in principle, there is probably room for one, maybe two of those deals. For various reasons, we don't see SPAC transactions in this part of the healthcare space. A pharma company typically 
does not have a business and doesn't have the cash flow that is well suited to the economic and disclosure demands of the SPAC format. We are seeing quite a bit of um, focus on earnouts. We're seeing very substantial transactions where most or maybe even three quarters of the value is going to come from very detailed, very bespoke earnout provisions. Those are an active feature of private deals and will probably become, as they have in the past, a feature in a simplified form, CBRs of public deals. So in terms of regulatory scrutiny, there's going to be continued antitrust focus on pipeline overlaps as regulators explore the contours of their current antipathy toward the killer acquisition. This is the preemptive acquisition of a nascent competitor. This has always been a concern or has recently been a concern in biopharmaceutical M&A. It's been given new life in the tech sector. Some people think that this is a concern that should stay in the tech sector. They may be right, but it's going to continue to be a factor in biopharma M&A. And so the overlaps among R&D platforms, which many people typically don't focus on, investors especially find this difficult to focus on. It's a big topic in the regulatory analysis. And while particular senior regulators have changed jobs, I do think it's fair to say that Democratic voices have been more suspicious of pharma deals than Republicans have been in the recent past. So as more enforcement resources get directed at antitrust generally, and that's the real focus of the Klobuchar antitrust reform bill, not some of the other more interesting provisions from a legal standpoint. It's the increased enforcement effort that is going to come through in all areas of antitrust. Pharma will get its fair share of this, so you'll see tougher scrutiny. But all of that, in fact, comes in the mix of a very dynamic environment driven, as I said, by scientific innovation. Thank you for listening to SNC Critical Insights. For more information about our practice, please visit us on the web at www.solcrom.com.